welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. So, good morning. Welcome to this uh, meeting of recovery is a process, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. My name is Nigel, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, so, we'll start this meeting off with the serenity prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Amen. All right, so welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. This is a closed meeting. Uh, Only conference attendees registered as sexaholics may attend this meeting. This is a topic meeting. And the topic uh, is recovery is a process, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Um, and there will be time allotted for sharing on this topic or comments or feedback or anything of that nature towards the end. Um, so first we'll go over uh, Sexolics Anonymous is an anonymous program. Uh, many of us carry cell phones and mobile computers capable of audio and visual recording. To maximize our commitment to anonymity, we cannot allow the use of these devices for recording of anything inside this conference. This is a recorded meeting, and the recorder cannot be turned off. If you choose to share, you must be clearly and directly into the microphone. By choosing to speak, you give consent to All Star Media to sh- record your share. You may choose to introduce yourself by another name if you desire. All-Star Media is an outside vendor carefully selected by the Unity Conference Planning Committee. By the terms of our contract, All-Star Media may sell and distribute these audio recordings to registered conference attendees on-site this weekend only. Um, I've asked a volunteer to read um, the problem. Whole sexolic. The problem. Many of us felt inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. Our insides never matched what we saw on the outsides of others. Early on, we came to feel disconnected from parents, from peers, from ourselves. We tuned out with fantasy and masturbation. We plugged in by drinking in the pictures, the images, and pursuing the objects of our fantasies. We lusted and wanted to be lusted after. We became true addicts. Sex with self promiscuity, adultery, dependency relationships, and more fantasy. We got it through the eyes. We bought it, we sold it, we traded it, we gave it away. We were addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden. The only way we knew knew to be free of it was to do it. Please connect with me and make me whole, we cried with outstretched arms. Lusting after the big fix, we gave away our power to others. This produced guilt Self-hatred, remorse, emptiness, and pain, and we were driven ever inward, away from reality, away from love, lost inside ourselves. Our habit made true intimacy impossible. We could never know real union with another because we were addicted to the unreal. We went for the chemistry, the connection that had the magic, because it bypassed intimacy and true union. 
Fantasy corrupted the real. Lust killed love. First addicts, then love cripples. We took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves, conning ourselves time and again that the next one would save us. We were really losing our lives. All right, so we'll get right into the topic, um, and I'll share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, I was thinking about this this topic, recovery is a process, um, and um, so what I'd like to do, I was thinking about this on the ride in, and I was trying to figure out how would I, how could I share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, so what I'll attempt to do today is ex- share with you my experience, strength, and hope of this process, uh, the addictive process that it took a hold of me and the process of recovery as I'm going through it. Um, and, uh, the latter part of it, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, as it says, the frustration and joys of this process for me. Um, so for me, um, I'm a process oriented person. Um, everything was about a process for me. And I've had, I've heard many addicts talk about, um, themselves as being process oriented people. Um, sex addiction is a process addiction by nature. Uh, I'm a drug addict as well. I am uh, addicted to meth, um, as well as pretty much any drug I can get a hand, my hands on, but meth was pretty, was what it w- happened to me. Um, so there was always a method to the madness, uh, in my case. Um, and it was a very, now that I look back on it, there was always a process associated with it. Um, so the sex addiction was always, the, the process was always started by some sort of a trigger in me. Uh, it was, um, some mental stimuli, visual stimuli, something good happened in my life. Um, that I wanted to celebrate, something bad happened in my life that I wanted to grieve, uh, and cover up with something good. But it was always triggered by something. It's, and it's, that's why I call it a trigger. That's why we all, I guess we all call it a trigger. It triggered something to start. Um, and in my case, it triggered the process to start. Um, so good looking woman going in front of me triggered, triggered me and started the process. Um, um, saw something on television or a movie triggered the process and there it goes, um, off to the races, uh, just anything. And it, I would find a reason for anything to trigger me if I really wanted to. The process itself for me as a sex addict was, um, it was different things. I would get on internet chat lines. I would get on phone sex lines. Uh, I would start the process of looking for a, a woman I could start an affair with. Um, my preference was married women. Um, I would, um, I would get on chat lines and, uh, I would sort of form an identity. Uh, obviously I would never give my real name or anything of that nature. Uh, and that itself was great. I, I, you know, it was, it was a high trying to form this persona, this personality, uh, getting out of my daily life and becoming someone else, uh, forming characteristic, a character basically, and f- selling that character on internet sex lines, uh, chat lines to other women who would identify themselves as married, not satisfied in their relationships. Um, and I would enjoy the process of slowly and methodically, um, 
seducing women from their loved ones, women who are not happy, and taking advantage of the crisis in their lives. And um, that itself was a process that I was very, that gave me a high. Uh, on the flip side, on, not on the flip side, but covertly, side by side, there was also a process of hiding uh, myself from um, hiding this and this double life I was leading from my wife and my family, um, which I, which itself gave me a high in, in its own way. Um, the, the whole process of covertly having a secret email account, um, just all sorts of, uh, the, the, the process of setting up my day so that I could, uh, I could enjoy my diction and things like that. Um, it was all a process and, uh, it was something that, uh, you know, um, that, that gave, that took me outside of my daily monotonous life. Uh, and then came the sort of the, the middle phase of this process was actually going through with the affair, meeting someone somewhere, um, uh, finding an excuse to get away from my wife for a day or two days, whatever it was, you know? Um, and going through with it and, uh, and then the process of enjoying it. And then the culmination of it was, uh, obviously, you know, acting out with my, with myself or with another person at the end of it. And the process would start to fizzle out. I would, the high would start to lessen. I would, um, uh, I would start to be filled. The high would be replaced by a shame that came from this. Um, especially going home to my wife and family at the end of the day after what I'd just done. The shame of it, um, was, was quite, uh, was, was quite there. And, um, that shame would linger for a few days. I would be renewed with some sort of a, uh, a new commitment not to do, not to go through this again. Uh, I can't believe I'm a father, uh, of two children, um, you know, husband to a wife for, uh, 17 years. And this is what I've been doing. And this, I would be doing this many times a year. Um, I would get tired of some, uh, an affair and start a new one and st stuff like that. And, um, the shame would last for a few days. Um, and then I would get bored again and I would forget a little bit of the shame or the shame would itself be a trigger for me to start something else again, because I was just couldn't live with myself. I couldn't live in my skin. I couldn't live with that shame. And I just wanted to get into this new personality, this, this new character that uh, I could be anyone I was and another woman would look at me without shame and so on and so forth. So there in the process started again. And then the process became habit. Uh, I enjoyed the high. It was, it existed co side by side with my drug addiction. I would take drugs to make myself feel better about this process. And, uh, I would then start to, uh, basically it became hard, you know, it became, you know, in my, in my blood. It's just what I did. And I did this for many years. Um, and that's my experience with it. The strength of it 
is I came clean to my wife about all of this stuff um, about a year ago when I got into the program. Um, I met with my sponsor and I told him everything I'd done. For the first time in my life, I'd confessed this was all done. No one had known about this double life I'd leading and all that stuff. And I came clean to my sponsor about this and he said, you know, and that was the start of the healing for me, telling someone about this, about this process, about what I was doing. I never knew there were other people who were going through the exact same process I was doing. And I told my sponsor this and he um, said, you know, you're going to have to tell your wife about it. Um, there are no two ways. The healing cannot begin until you, the wreckage of your past has to be resolved. So, um, after deliberate, after some time of sobriety, uh, last year, I told my wife about all of this. My wife separated from me. Um, and, uh, I was starting to figure out how do I, re how do I replace this process with something else? So, um, when a visual stimuli, mental stimuli, something good happens to me, how do I not run to what I had known for so long would help me? And uh, my sponsor started teaching me a new way of life, basically, um, and new things to replace the process. So I will always be a sex addict. I will always be a drug addict. I will always have these impulses. I will always want to go to my drug. And thinking anything other than that is not just ludicrous, it's foolish. And it's, it's just going back to a fantasy that will never exist. So then the key for me was starting a process, uh, just like I had a process in my addiction, I had to have a process in my recovery. So what that took the shape of was a lot of things. So I had to get out of my addiction on two fronts. I had to get out of drug addiction and I had to get out of sex addiction simultaneously. One thing led, fed the other. It was a cross addiction as, as what someone would call it, a therapist would call it. So... I had to figure out processes on both ends and um, what it did for me basically is I started, I had to start leading a life of integrity, no secrets, no more. So the start of the process was divulging everything to my wife and accept the consequences of that. I did that. Um, the other process was starting to lead a healthier life. When you're on drugs, especially meth, you don't sleep for days, you don't eat right, you're just a shell of yourself. I started to make tweaks to my personal life, practical tweaks, going to bed early. Um, by 10 o'clock, lights out, getting full eight hours of sleep, eating well, eating healthy, exercising every day, getting my physical well, getting physical well-being into order. Um, because I always found that my physical well-being and my mental well-being was so uh, interwoven. I started meditating every day. Um, uh, I'm a Buddhist, and uh, meditation, staying in the present moment, not running away from reality. So whatever happened, if something good happened in my life, stay with it. If something bad, bad happened in my life, stay with it, not running away from it. So I started replacing... Um, that search for my drug with meditation. So anytime uh, a mental stimuli, euphoric recall, visual stimuli, uh, something good happened, something bad happened, what, anything, anytime any of those things happened, 
um, I would take a quick time out and just um, go to a place by myself and just meditate for a quick few minutes, staying just present with my breath. Um, and uh, I attended meetings every day. Um, I still do. I attend uh, six to seven meetings uh, a week. Um, I uh, the sec I became very very heavily involved in um, in SA. So I start. I became the secretary of my group. I attend conferences. Uh, basically, what I'm doing is I'm I started to replace the process before with a different recovery led process. Um, and then apart from that. Uh, daily calls to my sponsor. Um, I make three calls a day to program attendees. Um, and that's something that I, I do religiously every day. Try to listen, try to, uh, try to share what I feel. Um, so just as the process itself took some time and addiction for it to become an addiction, this itself is taking its, its, its time. It is a slow process. Um, I didn't become an addict overnight. Um, initially when I was in my addiction, I would uh, have an affair maybe once every few years or something of that nature. But it came to a point where I was having an affair, you know, a few times a year. Um, I was chronically acting out with myself. Um, and those things took time. Um, and just like that, this recovery lifestyle is taking, is taking time and it is very frustrating. There are times where, um, um, you know, and you know, when I, I, I didn't sort of tell you, but, but my wife and I are back together now. Um, and uh, my family is back together and, uh, I have to remind myself of, the things I had nearly lost. I overdosed on meth, nearly lost my life. And in those times when it's frustrating that this process, gosh, this is my lot in life. I have to freaking go to seven meetings a, a, a week. I have to make calls and it, it gets sometimes a little, a little overwhelming, but I have to sort of remind myself of where I, where I came from and the depths of where I was um, and remind myself of what I've recovered. Um, and that in itself becomes, uh, a process as well. Uh, I have, anytime a trigger comes, I am reminded to be grateful for what I have. Um, and that's part of my process now is a daily cultivation of, of gratefulness. Every day when I wake up, I, I thank my higher power for another day that I can be in service. I thank my higher power for another day. I can, I can kiss my wife. Good morning. Uh, I can play with my children that I have life. I have uh, a healthy life, uh, in my addiction. I, um, uh, I, I nearly lost my life. Um, I contracted, uh, two sexually transmitted diseases. Thankfully the kind that can be get gotten away with, with antibiotics, but it could be a lot worse. There's so many things I can be grateful for. And I, I don't have to look far for gratefulness. It's, it's there in front of me. The moment my, my eyes open, my, my feet hit the floor, gratefulness just, just comes back flooding. Uh, because I remember, I remember those days when, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a hotel room with a prostitute and, uh, a needle hanging off my arm. Um, and just in the depths of this addiction and not knowing even which way 
is up and not knowing exactly how to even get off my feet. And, and these days life is great. Life is absolutely great. There is no hiding my cell phone. There is no looking over my back. There's no wondering which call is coming in or where's my cell phone. You know, there is, um, there's no missing baseball games or, I mean, or football games or soccer games or there's no missing stuff. There is just waking up in the morning, a simple life, starting with meditation and gratefulness, um, making breakfast for my kids, going to work, um, uh, keeping a job, um, coming back in time for dinner, um, and uh, exercising and going to bed at a, at a decent time, watching a movie with my wife at the end of the day after reading bedtime stories to my kids. There is so much to be grateful for. And that itself, and by the way, gratefulness does not come easily to me in any shape or form. I, I, I'm always uh, reminded not to be grateful. So, um, so in my, in my, in my recovery, I am, um, grateful. Uh, and that itself is the key to my, my recovery. So now I will end my, um, my experience, strength and hope and turn it over to, to everyone. We, we have lots of time. This meeting goes till about 10, 15. So, um, I guess we'll limit sharing f- to four minutes. It's good enough time. Um, and, uh, I've been asked to read that. We ask that sharing be pertinent to the topic. No crosstalk, please. If someone feels another member is getting too explicit, they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. And please introduce yourself before sharing. And uh, we have a timer. Um, and if you don't mind coming up here, because you'll be talking into the microphone. Thank you. You sexaholic. Thanks for your share. I don't know you, but that was very clarifying and distinct. Um, I've been going to SA in and out, then disappearing for years at a time for 14 or 15 years. Um, I would go because I knew I had to be there because I knew I needed help, but I wasn't, I didn't really want it. And if something shinier or more enticing came along, I was ready to leave. I would count the minutes of all the meetings or the unity conferences until they were done uh, and then jet out. Um, you know, it was just, it was like, like basically being in a jail cell and just, t- you know, counting the, the uh, minutes like on the wall of the uh, prison. Uh, a light turned on in July, and uh, I'd been f- finally fed up. And I knew I had to come back to SA, but I knew I had to make some big changes. So I'm, I've had a year of sobriety. I've had 18 months. I've worked the fourth step. I've worked the first, well, step one and two and three several times, but I had to do more. So I decided to get up early in the morning before work, non-negotiable, and run for three miles. Because I also realized that my physical health and mental health were interwoven. Um, you know, I miss a day or two, but I don't quit. You know, I don't have this black and white perfectionism. I get back to it the next day. 
I end my night with meditation and Bible reading and prayer. And uh, I miss I miss on that too. But again, I don't quit if I miss one or two days. And then I really said, I I hate meetings, but I'm going to go to every single damn one I can. And I just carved it out, man. I just found out all the meetings that were close by. And I go to like around five, sometimes six when that intergroup thing's going on off national in L.A. And, and I go. I was voluntold to be a secretary of one meeting. and I didn't reject it. So I've got the binder now. Uh, I've got a sponsor, of course, and I went to him directly. I felt very shameful because I tried like half-assed to get him before, but not really call him ever. And he was willing to come back yet again uh, to this loser and uh, try again one more time. And we've made a lot of progress, and it's a good fit, and I appreciate him a lot. Um, and I go to one step-study workshop once a week in La Habra, and that's where I do all my writing because I know I will not do any of the steps unless I put a pencil to a piece of paper. I get some quiet time, and I'm around other recovery guys doing it too. And at some point, I'll incorporate that at home, but I have to go somewhere. I have to leave my apartment and go somewhere to a meeting to do this right now. I've got like 72 or three days, and God willing, I'll stay stopped this time. A lot of fears, a lot of, yeah, a lot of fears and stuff still. And um, I don't know what I'm going to look like or be like at the end of all this, but I realize now that I'm sick and I need to get well. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Left more time if anyone would like to share. I'm Johnny, I'm a sexaholic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, recovery is a process. Um, when I first got into the program, I thought, you know, I'm going to figure this thing out and I'm going to be perfect by next Thursday. And um, it didn't work that way. I had a lot to learn that I didn't even know. I didn't know what I didn't know, you know. There were so many things that I've learned in my recovery process that I didn't realize were problems before or um yeah, anyway, I I've been in the program a little over two and a half years and I haven't been able to to maintain lasting sobriety. I've um I've never even gotten 30 days. I've gotten 25 days a couple times. Um, and it sure isn't for my lack of trying. Um, you know, I, I go to, I go to four or five meetings a week. I do phone meeting every day. Um, you know, uh, I call my sponsor every day. I'm working the steps. Um, but there's a lot of things that I needed to learn along the way. And there's a lot of progress that I've made sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Um, one of the things that I learned recently was I need to do step work every day. Um, if I don't do my step work every day, then I'm, you know, kind of avoiding it and I'm not going to be making any progress and I'm not going to stay sober. So I've been um, committing to doing at least 10 minutes every day of step work. Um, 
some of the other things that have happened uh, in my recovery process were when I got to the program, I had no friends, like zero friends. Um, I was engaged and she was my higher power and she was my only friend. And then we broke up and I had nobody. Um, and so my sponsor suggested that I go look for, um, you know, like a, like a young adult group at a church or something. And so I did and I was scared, but I went and it's, I've been hanging out with those people for about a year now and I have some really great friendships. So, um, that was something that I needed in my recovery process. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I found too that the process of working the steps has really kind of opened my mind and I didn't even realize how, how like unclearly I would think when I got here. I didn't even understand how distorted my view of myself and the world was until I started working the steps. And it's been a process. I had to go back and rework step two and three. I found that step one, even though I did my step one inventory, I didn't really get it until much after, you know, doing the step one inventory. Um, so that was a process too. And, um, I'm kind of rambling now, but, um, yeah, so I want to touch on sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I find that I want to, I want to recover quickly and I want to, I want to have it all figured out and I want to be, you know, I want to be solid now. And I find that thinking that way actually makes recovery slower because I want to be in control of it. I want to be in control of how quickly I recover. And when I'm trying to be in control of my recovery, it doesn't work for me. I, uh, I do much better when I accept gradual progress, when I trust in God, when I stay in the present moment and I do the next right thing. When I look back on my recovery journey, that's when recovery happened the fastest for me. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Doing another sexaholic. Um, yeah, I appreciate the the topic. Um, I found the most neat topic. Any meeting I go to, the topic is appropriate because I'm <clears throat> I'm uh, out of adjustment, and I find these meetings um, help me uh, help me adjust. Um, yeah, recovery is a process. Uh, for me, um, uh, others have said in so many words, it's a, it's a, it's a lifetime lifetime sentence, and um, it's a it's a it's a good thing. Um, I uh, I'm more chronologically gifted than than most of us here, uh, so I'm on the on the latter half. Um, and uh, so that it aren't that many more years, but I, I look forward to to continuing in recovery uh, during those during that whatever time is left. Um, recovery to me is a process because uh, there's always more room to grow, uh, more will be, more will be revealed. Uh, in the vision for you, it says something about we. We know only a little, 
and uh, that that's in the present tense, and that that will always be the case for me. Um, so there's always uh, more out there for me um, in recovery, and uh, in working the steps. Um, we we don't i don't finish the steps um it, right now I'm, I'm working steps 10 and 11 um those are pretty much steps that that uh, I'll, I'll always be doing um step 10 is about living out steps 4 through 9 and and uh i i, I don't i don't I don't do it very. I am um, step ten is in, in reading the reading the step ten in the big book. Um, it's it's a lot about urgent action, and uh, I'm I will eventually act, but not so. So th- there's room, there's space, there's ample space for me to uh, uh, to grow in recovery and. Uh, uh, I maybe because of where I am uh, age-wise, uh, uh, quickly d- doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about that. Um, there's, there are moments, epiphanies uh, coming to. Yes, there are there are spots along the way that uh, things become very clear, and and that those can come to me quickly, um, but. By and large, the recovery process for me is uh, is is more more slowly and gradual, and uh, that for me, and uh, but it's a, it's a it's a, the rewards far outweigh for me the the costs. Um, it's it's there's a lot of profit in recovery. It's a worthwhile investment, best best investment I. That I'm aware of in this life, so I'm very grateful to be a sexaholic. Thank you. I'm Wayne. I'm a sexaholic. I I think of sobriety versus recovery. I had a um, two two distinct things. I had a desperate need for a relationship with my higher power because I was lost. I was dying I, my the path that I was choosing was going to probably take me out of this world and I was afraid I'd never have a relationship with my higher power and so I ran in here desperate for this for sobriety and I worked really hard and I've shared that I was the straight A student I was the guy that I wanted a plaque on the wall with my name on it I'm going to work a step a month perfectly so that 12 months from now I can have a relationship with a woman because I read that somewhere and that was my thing. I'm going to be in perfect shape. And I worked really hard. And I, and I think God has a, my, my God has a great sense of humor because he kind of went, okay, I'm going to give you a gift. And he, he relieved me of the, the bone crushing obsession that I had. I got a gift. For me, I worked hard. I'm not going to say I worked hard and I got that. I'm going to say my God kind of went like, okay, cause you're a knucklehead. I'm going to help you out a little bit, but. I went to, um, I was at the thing in Big Bear 
and I was really hurting because I was, I was going to, um, stalled out on, on a step and I'm like, I'm off my time schedule. <laughs> and I walked out in the woods and there was like a cross there. And I just, I just was kind of hanging out and I was beating the crap out of myself. And it's like, I'm off and I'm, do I even care? Is this even real? And, and I just had the impression of that my God kind of does this. He kind of just chuckles and he goes, knucklehead. He goes, look where you are right now. You're talking to me in my nature. You're, you're at a cross and your thoughts are on me. He goes, let's hang out. I swear it was just like, let's hang out. It's not about all this work that you're doing. Like my life, I'm the king of fresh starts. Oh, I get it. You know, I lost another job. I lost another marriage. I'm going to, I get it this time. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll show you guys and start like a rocket ship and then fizzle out and wander off. And I just had such a deep, calm, deep, calm, another gift from my higher power. He just said, just hang out with me. So to me, recovery is, and I love that saying that it's, you know, it's a daily reprieve based on my spiritual condition. And, and I don't have to return to that lifestyle if I maintain my spiritual condition, which just means my relationship with my higher power. Recovery to me feels like something that my higher power is going to do. And it's his time schedule. It's not mine. And literally, like if I, if I'm in the right place, I'm walking with my higher power for the rest of my days. And so, you know, maybe we're not going to get it this year. Hang out. Don't go away. Don't get frustrated. Don't work extra hard and burn yourself out. Don't. It's not so much about what I do. It's about what he's going to do in me. And um, so this second year, and now now I'm at this thing and I'm beating myself up because I'm like, man, I took basically took a year off. I I um I don't. I'm, it's all about abiding. It's not about steps. It's not about my performance. And. It's the same thing. Look at where I am today. There's a lot of places I could be today, but I'm here because I want my relationship with my higher power and I want him to help me to recover and be something useful. So that's all I got. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jonathan Sexolic. Um, for me, my uh, recovery process has certainly been uh, a process uh, pretty slowly. I'm actually pretty new to the program, um, but I'm in no means new to uh, trying to get a hold on my addiction. Um, started acting out really young, um, and by the time I was about 13, I realized that uh, what I was doing was really unhealthy for my life, even though I was only like you know, 12, 13. I was already realizing that um, it was really um, causing me to at least feel like I was uh, thinking and behaving in ways that weren't uh, normal and weren't like like my other friends or kids at you know my schools and stuff. So about the age of thirteen was the first time I can really remember like um, trying to stop uh, sexual behaviors that I was engaging in at the time. Um, to not, not much, to not much success. Um, and, you know, fast forwarding a bunch of years, uh, my current wife, when we started dating, uh, still was using, uh, pornography heavily and multiple instances of, uh, cheating throughout our dating and our engagement, um, which she didn't really know about until about, Two months before our wedding was scheduled, uh, I get, I went ahead and disclosed to my wife, uh, what was going on, or I guess she was my fiance at the time. And, uh, 
obviously that didn't that didn't really go over well, but um, we kind of like. I mean, obviously the relationship wasn't very good if I was acting out throughout the whole thing, anyways. But we kind of just ended up deciding to pretend like there nothing was happening, and then we're like, okay, we're just gonna deal with this after we get married. Like the wedding's too close, you know. Like let's just get married and then deal with it. Um, which made for a really very strange couple months of engagement and, uh, not such a smooth honeymoon after that. Um, and our first year of marriage was then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now, now we're going to deal with it. It was like, right when we got back from our honeymoon, it was like, okay, now we're going to talk about everything and now we're going to deal with everything. So our first year of marriage was very rough. Um, and the whole time still trying to, uh, stop behaviors. Uh, thankfully, um, there was no more physical cheating after we got married, um, but there was still plenty of uh, internet use. Um, and now just within this year, I started coming to this program, and this is now already our, our third year of marriage, and essentially what led me here was just you know the wife being completely fed up and myself also being fed up with just constantly, constantly failing. Um, a hard part for me is... Uh, really dealing with uh, just the shame of failing. Like every time I would act out again, um, you know, if I did like really good before, it'd be like, oh man, I made it a whole week. I'm I'm like Superman, you know, I'm doing so good. And then, you know, obviously I'd uh, fail again and then I'll go through much more frequent, longer use of uh, once the shame was in acting out much, much more constantly. Um, but since coming to the program and working with my sponsor and working the steps and everything, um, I've had much more, uh, much more success than I've had failure. Um, even though by no means anywhere near, uh, perfect. I actually, right now I'm only like, uh, seven days sober, but before that was, uh, oh, thank you. Um, but before that was actually 59 and before that was like 67 and before that was like 45 and neither of those three lengths I had, I had had, you know, for years and years and years. Um, so it's certainly a process and it's been slow, but I'm very thankful for the, for the progress I have made. Thank you. Paul, sexaholic. Uh, I, I started going to SA meetings um, in July of last year. Uh, in the first few meetings, I several meetings, I didn't say a word. I just sat there and um, came away with the impression that um, I just needed to show up. And the recovery I was hearing around the room would become my recovery as long as I just kept coming. Um, last week... Uh, my, my wife of nine years and I, uh, got into a struggle and, um, she fell and hit the floor. Um, she went to the hospital, um, was questioned by the police and was arrested. Uh, I bailed her out of jail. She took our kids and, um, we're separated. Um, my, my, support network, um, has rallied around me and said, uh, you need to, you need to come up with a plan. What are you going to do? Um, and so over the past five days, I've been thinking about what am I supposed to do? 
Um, yesterday I met with someone in this program and I told him what I think I should do. Um, and he said, you can do that or let me tell you my story. And if you want what I have, then you can do what this program does. Um, it's worked for me and it's worked for many other people. And so, uh, what I realized yesterday is that, um, I don't have a plan and I, am okay with that. I think, um, what I need to do is take direction and, um, I, I'm trusting that my plan, which sort of got me where I am, um, is not good. And, um, you know, as he was saying yesterday, my best thinking got me where I am today. And so my best thinking will not get me out of where I am today. Um, a week ago, I was willing, I thought, to do whatever it takes to get my family back. Um, but this is for me. And I think uh, I'm becoming more and more okay with the fact that I can't control the future. And there is no guarantee that I get my family back. But regardless of where this falls, um, I need help. And I, um, I'm willing to take direction to get that help. So I'm grateful to be here. Um, I was here two nights ago uh, because I was told to come, and then I left. And then yesterday I was told to come back here again, and I stayed. And that's all I can really do is just do what I'm told to do. Thanks for letting me share. Renee sexaholic. You know, my, my, my addictive ego keeps trying to tell me, you know, when we say sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I keep thinking I'm one of the quickly guys. I've never been a quickly guy in my whole freaking 56 years of life, you know, and I've come in here today. I was trying to figure out, well, what is my true sobriety date? Cause it was first introduced through Alcoholics Anonymous to recovery 35 years ago. Bouncing out of that thing for 17 years before I surrendered that I can't drink a little over 18 years ago. Been around SA, thank God, about two and a half, maybe three years now. Currently, uh, 47 days sexually sober. So which one is it? 35 years? 18 years? Two and a half years? 47 days? And it hit me. I said, no, it's today. I am sober today and and when i get involved in a head trash i could have should have would have been sober longer than nobody cares i i have a feeling you guys really don't even care if i've been sober a year or 10 years or we're all in here trying to save our own ass that's what i constantly got to remind myself and when i do that i just get like kind of like my buddy wayne was saying i get to enjoy the ride you know this beautiful ride i'm on i was at a one of my favorite AA meetings this morning, went and took care of a 
faith commitment I have every other week now that I love. Here at the moment at this essay conference, getting spiritually fed more. You know, I'm not, all the corny sayings I've heard all these years, they're finally sinking in. You know, I'm not a bad person trying to get good. I'm a sick person trying to get well. And if I can give, give myself that little bit of grace, I can have a wonderful day of sobriety. And thanks for letting me share. I'm Mark Sexaholic, and I'll just uh, share a little bit on that, uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. It's all uh, relative. Um, I went to the Big Bear Men's Retreat uh, this past May and and got in a workshop uh, working on Step 4, because that's where I was at, and really started getting going, and... uh, and, and moving on that step. And so it only took me, you know, three and a half months to finish that step after that. And I'd say it seemed like a long time and kind of slowly, but I was stuck on that step for three and a half years before that. Been in the program about four years. Um, and it was the change, you know, the change in the attitudes, uh, that made things really go, uh, more quickly for me. Um, it's just been recently that my wife said she's finally, you know, seeing some changes in me. Uh, you know, after four years in the program, and I thought I was changing from day one. I was much better, you know. Uh, but it's only, you know, been recently, uh, more recently that I've really been working the program and really had that change in attitude. Uh, that the white book, you know, has just told me so important. Um, it's, you know, not all the things that I'm, I'm doing or, or that, but it's, it's the attitude that I'm, that I have. And when I have that attitude of that I want sobriety, I want a better life, um, then, you know, the process starts working for me, uh, and I start moving, moving forward. Um, and, you know, one of the, uh, things that I realized right here at the conference, uh, when I called my wife, uh, uh, she, she's not here, but when I called her and was, was talking, we had, uh, you know, I'd done something stupid again and, you know, disrespectful to her and, and that. And, uh, she is kind of just, you know, said, well, that's who you are. You know, you know, I've kind of given up on me. She said, that's just who you are. You know, I understand that. I said, but that's not who I should be, you know, and, and I realized, you know, that, that, that doesn't work for me, the shooting all over myself, as they say. And, you know, then I, I thought for a minute, I said, um, you know, but I want to be better than that. And so that was my, uh, you know, the, the, this kind of change in attitude. Not that I should be this way or should be that way, but when I want to be uh, a different way, that's when, when progress uh, can start uh, for me. And I just heard in a previous meeting, you know, that practice makes better. And, uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's what I want. Uh, I want better things for myself, for my wife, uh, my family and those around me. Thanks for letting me share.
Um, the, the, yeah, there was a few things that were sh- uh, shared that, that rung, rung a chord with me. I just wanted to sort of bring up that also resonated with me. Um, one of the things was, um, you know, I, I heard someone say that you, you are the aggregate of the five people you hang out with the most, uh, the five closest people in your life. You basically take on a lot of their good, good effects and bad effects as human beings in a social situation, the five people you're closest to. So I was reminded very early on in my program to surround myself with the right kind of people, especially being coming from a drug addiction sort of background. A lot of the people I hung out with were drug addicts. Um, so in my recovery, obviously I chose to spend time with the right kind of people. Um, and that has made all the difference, especially during this process when it's going very slowly, you need the right kind of people around you to bolster you and to, to get you up to speed. So, um, that sort of rang, rung a bell with me. So thank you. We still have about five minutes, I'd say. There's a reading here called Breaking the Lust Habit, um, and if anyone wants to share, we still have some time. I'm just sort of reading the last few readings I had set aside. Um, you can raise your hand, and obviously we can leave some time for sharing as well. But uh, since we're talking about process, there is this reading, which we're all used to from the essay pamphlet, Why Stop Lusting. It's a reading called Breaking the Lust Habit. Says from personal experience, we know lust is cunning, baffling, powerful, and patient. In the day-to-day grind, we wonder how we might win against a foe such as this that never sleeps and never quits. In the past, when lust came knocking, we always opened up the door. It was as if we had no other option. But today in recovery, we do have a choice. There are many tools that we can use to keep the door closed to lust. And here are a few. Honesty. For so long, we were afraid to tell anyone what was really going in our heads. By keeping in a secret, we allowed our addictive thinking to grow and spread. By sharing our thoughts and actions with others in SA, we discovered that much of the power of lust was removed. Therefore, members of SA are encouraged to share honestly both in and out of meetings. Avoiding triggers. Many things can trigger lust. Movies, magazines, swimming pools, the internet, even some things in the newspaper. Certainly, there are endless opportunities to lust. By examining our personal lives closely and honestly, we can identify the thoughts, persons, places, things that regularly cause us the most trouble. Having identified them, we now make decisions to avoid them, thus reducing our temptation to lust. Prayer. We use prayers of all kinds to drive away lust. One quick prayer is, God help me. Many of us ask God to bless the person we are wanting to lust after. We ask God to provide that person with all the good things we desire for our own lives. By doing so, we stop making that person a lust object, but rather a child of God. Another simple request is, God, whatever I'm looking for in that person, may I find it in you. Last thing is sponsorship. A sponsor is more experienced, recovering person who guides us through the 12 steps of recovery. Ideally, a sponsor is working the steps, going to meetings, and has a sponsor himself or herself. A sponsor can help us use the steps to surrender this obsession with lust in order to live a balanced and joyful life. How do we know these tools works? The experience of thousands of recovering sexaholics indicates it is working in their lives one day at a time. How do we know these tools work? The experience of thousands of recovering sexaholics indicates it's working in their lives one day at a time. Sorry, it's written twice, so... So, um, I guess that was, uh, that sort of reading spoke to me as a process itself to, to enable, uh, to follow. We'll close with a uh, closing, um, 
unless anyone has, would you like anyone else would like to share? No. All right. So we'll close with the closing reading. Johnny sexaholic, the solution. We saw that our problem was threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Healing had to come about in all three. The crucial change in attitude began when we admitted we were powerless, that our habit had us whipped. We came to meetings and withdrew from our habit. For some, this meant no sex with themselves or others, including not getting into relationships. For others, it also meant drying out and not having sex with the spouse for a time to recover from lust. We discovered that we could stop, that not feeding the hunger didn't kill us, that sex was indeed optional. There was hope for freedom, and we began to feel alive. Encouraged to continue, we turned more and more away from our isolating obsession with sex and self and turned to God and others. All this was scary. We couldn't see the path ahead, except that others had gone that way before. Each new step of surrender felt it would be off the edge into oblivion, but we took it. And instead of killing us, surrender was killing the obsession. We had stepped into the light, into a whole new way of life. The fellowship gave us monitoring and support to keep us from being overwhelmed, a safe haven where we could finally face ourselves. Instead of covering our feelings with compulsive sex, we began exposing the roots of our spiritual emptiness and hunger, and the healing began. As we faced our defects, we became willing to change. Surrendering them broke the power they had over us. We began to be more comfortable with ourselves and others for the first time without our drug. Forgiving all who had injured us, and without injuring others, we tried to right our own wrongs. At each amends, more of the dreadful load of guilt dropped from our shoulders until we could lift our heads, look the world in the eye, and stand free. We began practicing a positive sobriety, taking the actions of love to improve our relations with others. We were learning how to give, and the measure we gave was the measure we got back. We were finding what none of the substitutes had ever supplied. We were making the real connection. We were home. All right, in conclusion, uh, Sexaholics Anonymous, it is our primary purpose to stay sexually sober and to help others achieve sexual sobriety. Our experience teaches that attending meetings, working the steps, and giving and receiving sponsorship are key elements in maintaining our own sobriety. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about an essay to yourself. And what we say here, let it stay here when we leave here. Um, all right. Uh, after a moment of silence for the sexaholic who still suffers, please join me in the seventh step prayer. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.